Hey, welcome back, everybody. It's time once again for another edition of Living Hope, your journey with pancreatic cancer. Sharing the real-life stories of those really affected by this deadly disease and how they deal with it on a daily basis. With someone, well, we say it all the time. It's just old news for her dealing with this on a daily basis here. Let's bring her in and she can share how common this is, how casual this whole conversation can be. Right, Roberta? It's no oh, big deal. It's just, what, 19 years, pancreatic cancer? Definitely. Huh? But give me that 21. I just turned 21 again. So, though I celebrated this 21st birthday much different than my first one, and we won't go into that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's do that today. Let's let's put that everything aside. I want to hear how you celebrated your 21st no, you trip around the sun here. Right. <laughs> oh, we'll go. We'll do that another time. <laughs> okay. So who'd you bring back today here? Yeah. You got another repeat guest? He keeps coming back over and over again. Here. Yeah, well, he's got a great story, and there's so much to tell that I don't want to cut it short. So he's kind enough to keep coming back from a distance. He's not like just right down the street. He's coming all the way from Pasadena. So I really appreciate it. Today we have Tom Morzak back. He's an 11-year pancreatic cancer survivor. And again, like I said, we're so thankful to have him join us. We're also very thankful to have him here. But just to have him come back and share his journey a number of times. The last time he was on was on June 15th this year. So if you didn't have a chance to hear that or watch it, you might want to do that. You can go to OC Talk Radio on YouTube. And it's also on various podcast carriers. So I wish everybody could hear the after-hour stories. That's even better. Right? <laughs> <laughs> well, those we might have to put a little rating on. So I don't know. <laughs> but anyway, it's, we'll have to do that sometime. Put the bloopers. We'll have to do a blooper story. But Anyway, Tom, thank you for coming. I think your story is a little bit unique in a way because that I had forgotten is that you actually had your surgery was scheduled before you actually got your diagnosis. Could you kind of go into that a little bit for us? Sure. So this whole process for me started in January of 2012, so 11 and a half years ago now. And we quickly realized that I had a problem with my pancreas. The enzymes were off the charts and didn't quite know what was going on. That leads to a whole series of diagnostic tests. A CAT scan showed a mass. I guess the ultrasound first, the surface ultrasound, and then a CAT scan showed a mass. Still wasn't sure exactly what it was, but at some point, one of the GI doctors said, you know, no matter what that is, it has to come out. So you should think about getting a surgeon. So we began that process. I sort of put the word out and through a friend was able to hook up with Rick Selby, who works both out of UCI and up at USC Keck, who eventually did surgery. So I actually met with him on a Friday morning and on Friday afternoon, I had the endoscopic ultrasound with the fine needle aspiration where they actually did the biopsy, which then eventually led to the diagnosis which i remember because of the date was february 29th 2012 <laughs> leap year <laughs> it was a leap day diagnosis and then at that point i had surgery scheduled so i had the surgery i think it was six days later went in and had the whipple so for because at that time they didn't know when they first scheduled it that it was cancer so the surgery would have been the same regardless of the diagnosis it still would have been a whipple that was the discussion that I had with Dr. Selby. He's like, we need to do a Whipple. There's a mass here. I think he was assuming it was cancer. I wasn't quite there yet. <laughs> but certainly that was within the realm of possibility. And that was the plan all along was to go in and do a Whipple. And can you explain, somebody texted in again. I know you've talked about Whipple a hundred million times. But for those just tuning in, what's yeah. the Whipple? The Whipple procedure is a very complicated 
rather intense operation that is removes part of the pancreas that is done for other things but for purposes of this discussion it's to remove part of the pancreas typically because there's a mass or there's a tumor in my case and the people i think interested here are dealing with in my case adenocarcinoma i believe they also do it for peanut cancers also sometimes they take out the affected part of the pancreas sometimes it's the entire part for me it was about half of it they then take out a bunch of surrounding tissue, which is the lymph nodes that are adjacent to the pancreas. They take out the roughly the bottom one third of your stomach, your duodenum, which is the top 18 inches of your digestive tract, the gallbladder, and then they have to rewire essentially your digestive system by putting the remnants of your intestine back onto what's left of your stomach and also to rebuild the bile duct and the pancreatic duct, which then goes into the duodenum, but since they take that out, it has to go into a lower part of the intestine. So in a nutshell, that's what it involves. Sometimes there are complicating factors. People may have, for instance, the tumor impinging on a vein that might require additional work, but it's a very complicated, very, very invasive procedure. And and not to just keep focusing on this, but... As I recall, you've all talked about, this isn't like just a surgery that it just heals and you go back to life as it was. There are some permanent changes, right, that come with this? There is no doubt that I am reminded every day that not only am I a survivor of pancreatic cancer, but I had a Whipple procedure. There are any number of side effects. The most common one that people complain about is, you know, GI distress. So gas you know, just general digestive issues of all forms, let's just say it's not constipation normally, are the after effects of it. I have, one of the ones unique to me is I have lesions on my upper colon, which somehow are related to it. So this causes pain, You oftentimes after my bowel movements, you know, depending on how good or bad they may be. So I'm constantly reminded of it. You are also, many of us take digestive enzymes to replace the enzymes that are produced by the pancreas. So you lose some or all of your pancreas. You need to take digestive enzymes typically to compensate for that so that you can digest food to some extent. If you've lost all of your pancreas, then you're in a diabetic situation because you're not producing insulin. So depending on your situation, there are always side effects that remind you of what you've been through. Because you think a cancer surgery is removing the mass and then I'm good again, assuming it doesn't grow back or you know, so many years you're clean after that, but you move on. I, I don't know about all cancer surgeries, but most of them seem like once it's done, it's done. This one seems because you're redoing the intestinal tract, there are residual unpleasant effects that continue with you for a while. It's like I, undoing the plumbing, right? You're redoing the, the You're redoing the plumbing. That's yeah. exactly it. Yeah. That's how I describe it to people yeah. is the plumbing gets redone. And, you know, our bodies are very finely tuned to operate in a certain way. And you go out and take, turns out the pancreas is a super important organ, which I didn't know 12 years ago. And you literally cannot digest food without it. You need it in order to process food. So, and then with all the other things and, you know, the impact on the bacterial biome in your intestines, that 
I'm sure for most people, certainly for me and a lot of people, that never really gets right again because it's been opened up and you can tweak it with, you know, with your diet and with probiotics and all this and that. But it's just it's just never right. And that's why you're reminded of it constantly. And I know I didn't have the Whipple because of the location of my tumor, but talking to others, they tell me to the same thing as it's never right again. And from one day to the next, one day they can eat something and it's fine. It didn't bother them. But the next time they can eat the exact same thing and boom, it really, it wasn't. A it's good very thing. true. And I had some really significant issues with my GI tract for about a year and a half after my Whipple. And essentially, I had diarrhea constantly for a year and a half. And I was tested for everything that they could think of, you know, bacterial overgrowth and celiac disease and all kinds of, I forget all the things that they looked at me for. And it turns out what fixed me was changing the brand of enzyme that I was using. I was using Creon, which is what's most commonly used. And finally, as a last ditch, they kicked me over to another brand called Zenpep and it changed my life in a couple of days. And so while you're always reminded of it, there's a, oftentimes a certain amount of unpleasantness to it. It beats the alternative, which is not, in my case, not having the surgery. So um, you're a special case, fortunately. For most people, the Whipple is a life-saving scenario. Without it, that cancer is going to spread and eventually is going to kill you. And that's the unfortunate situation with pancreatic cancer and the fact that we have yet to determine a way for to diagnose it early so many people don't know they have it until it's metastasized typically to their liver and then oftentimes it's too late you know it's you may be able to undergo treatment but that's why the mortality rate associated with pancreatic cancer is so high because we can't find it early and if you're lucky enough like me to have the tumor in a place where in my case it was blocking my bile duct, then I had symptoms, I was able to get it early. You know, more and more and more we're figuring out ways, but we need that early test. And they're also experimenting with ways to make the Whipple less barbaric. Yeah. You know, that's, that's an unfortunate thing with cancer treatment. Chemotherapy is barbaric, it's a sledgehammer, and the Whipple procedures very similar to that it is it is a massive response to a problem but it's necessary in the current scenario of medical science yeah, i know when my dad was diagnosed and they were going to do the whipple they told us it was going to be an eight to 12 hour surgery and it was like my god that's you know you're not realizing what really goes into it so i don't know that it's gotten any better now i've heard it's like at, at least eight hours so i, I think um, eight mine was 10. And my recollection is my doctor actually called in a second doctor to assist them because of the tumor was right up against my portal vein, mm -hmm. which goes up to your liver. And nowadays, the vein may have been replaced. They weren't doing that 11 years ago. So it's a very, very delicate procedure to try to get a clean margin to get the thing away from the vein because it's basically a highway up to your liver. Yeah. It is a big deal. I was in ICU for four days. I was discharged after six, but you know, I have a friend who just had a Whipple. She was in the hospital, I think for two and a half, maybe three weeks because of some kind of infection, you know, various complications come up. It is a big deal. Commonly stated, it is the second biggest surgery after open heart surgery. That's what people typically say. So do people ever opt to wait? 
why well, doesn't feel like you have a choice. You're going to die if you don't. But if this is that hard, do they put it off or do they hesitate because of the severity of it? And is anybody working on anything better? So I have yet to talk to somebody who just said, no, I'm not going to have the surgery. There have been ways of dealing with it slightly differently. So when I had the surgery, it was get in, get it done. Several years later, there was a movement to doing pre-surgery chemotherapy and sometimes radiation. I think they're getting away from the radiation, but a lot of people still have a few rounds, particularly of fulfirinox, to shrink the tumor a little bit, hopefully make the surgery a little bit easier. There are robotic procedures that are being used at some facilities that will decrease the invasiveness, the actual like hole they have to cut into you. So that will help you with your healing. There's a number of things that are being worked on. Some of them try to preserve the stomach. I think they call that a pylorus preserving Whipple. So there's a number of options, but most people have the basic Whipple that I had, where they go in, they take everything out, they rewire the plumbing, and then they send you on your way. Yeah. We have a guest that will be coming on after the summer, probably, who had the nano knife. So we'll be interested to find out about that. But I have run into at least probably two people that after hearing and talking to somebody decided not to do it and that's not what we're here for it's not something i don't want to talk anybody out of anything right i just want them to know what they're going to be facing because i think sure. the worst thing is to go in and not know and not understand and then like you said be hit with all these things thinking why didn't i not know this somebody must have had an idea so i appreciate you coming in and, and, and being let me really just, honest with us no absolutely and i think honesty and information is super important sharing your experience with other people with other patients i think is just is unbelievably important and people don't realize how important that is and that's a big thing that i stress to people but you know the whipple procedure is a big deal but here I am today, and there's lots of other people like me that have had it that have essentially normal lives. I work a full-time job. I go out and play golf, and I walk, and I carry my bag when I do it, now in my seventh decade on this planet. So it is life-changing, and there are a lot of issues that need to be dealt with, but my life proceeds, and I'm very, very happy that I had the option of doing it and not you know, being in a different situation, i.e. no longer among us, I'll take those things that I have to deal with any day. Yeah, because look at the enjoyment you're getting out of your life, but also your family. I mean, it's, it's life-changing for them as well. It doesn't just affect us. It Absolutely. affects our family as well. And I'm very happy to have you still around in all these years. And <laughs> Thank you. My, my family says they are too. Sometimes I doubt that, but they definitely say that. And no, I mean, look, cancer is a disease that affects the whole family, right. your partner, your spouse, whatever, likely is going to be your caregiver. If you have somebody, it affects them. My daughter, who was nine years old when I got diagnosed, still talks about it. Mm -hmm. She says that it's, it's essentially PTSD. The thought of losing her dad, she's an only child, the thought of losing her dad at that age is something that she still carries around with her. Fortunately, I'm still here to torment her <laughs> young life <laughs> as she goes through college. And I, and I am grateful beyond words that I'm still here to experience my family, to experience my friends, to share my experiences with other people, and just to be able to go out and do all the great things that 
human beings get to do. Yeah, and again, we're very thankful. I'm very thankful to have you as well. And I know your family is too. Your family's wonderful and the friends that you've made and just the fact that you're honest to come out and, and talk about it. It's really mm -hmm. a great inspiration for people. Like I said, we're not trying to talk you out or into anything, but just have all the facts so you know the best decision to make. And I have to agree with you. I, I Like I said, I have not been able to have the Whipple yet, but I think other than the alternative, Whipple or death, I think I would choose the Whipple. I mean, obviously, I want to be here, right? It wasn't a, it wasn't a close call for me. So <laughs> Yeah, and it's unfortunate that, you know, the surgery is what it is, but it seems like anything you deal with with pancreatic cancer is not easy. We don't have an easy test. We don't have a blood test. We don't have, you know, it's not always picked up right away on an ultrasound. It's usually very invasive. And like you say, just getting the diagnosis from it you know, having them go in, it's, it's not simple. It's take, having that thing go down your throat with a little knife and taking the biopsy. <laughs> right. That wasn't a lot of fun, you know? Right, so. <laughs> right. You know, I'll say one thing, and I think we touched upon this last time, is that my surgery was not painful. When I was in the hospital, clearly the medical profession has spent a great deal of time over the years dealing with pain management. And I had an epidural in me from the time I had the surgery. And that was the last thing they took out of me before I walked out the door. So it wasn't that I was in pain. And when I went home, I'm pretty sure I took one pain pill after I got home, which would be day seven when I got home. I took one pain pill and not another one directly related to the surgery after that. So that's a nice thing. There are discomforts that are associated with it. But that is a lot different in my mind from being in pain because they cut you open and did x y and z and this and that that was not an issue and i don't hear a lot of people complaining about that oh it was a very painful thing i can't fact, like right now i can't think of anybody who talked about it so yeah, th that's that a good thing yeah, now that you're saying that i don't remember that either and when the people that i've talked to it's been mostly just the trauma of doing it right. and you actually made a comment you said the trauma felt like getting hit by a truck so I, yeah. I can relate to that. Right. And not on a painful side, just that it, it knocks you out. So I spent weeks, five, I want to say about five weeks, just essentially lounging on my couch and just kind of not able to do anything. But that was my body healing, you know, healing from all the trauma and all the everything and just trying to figure out, you know, how am I going to process food again and all these things. There's a lot of things happen, but there were discomforts, but I wasn't in pain. And I was, you know, the worst part is I was bored out of my mind <laughs> for a while. Oh, you didn't get into the video games or binging movie. Binging I, I found that I couldn't concentrate. I actually made very affirmative plans. I was going to catch up on shows like, for instance, I was going to watch Breaking Bad <laughs> and... Uh, I remember I put it on, I watched it for 10 minutes. I'm like, I can't focus on this because I was just still in so, so much healing mode. Mm. I'm like, so I'll get back to that. And I never did. So <laughs> <laughs> how did you decide or discover like which foods you could eat? And was it a trial and error? And it wasn't always successful either, right? So a big battle for most patients is just to develop an appetite. And you talk to a lot of caregivers and they spend a lot of time trying to make appealing, delicious meals for the people that had surgery last week or last month or a few months ago. And they put it in front of you and you look at it and you're like, nope, just not interested in eating it. You know, I'll never forget what Dr. Selby, my surgeon said, 
when I was being discharged. And he goes, okay, I'm going to tell you something. No doctor has ever told you this. You're never going to hear this again. Cheeseburgers. <laughs> Go eat cheeseburgers because they're delicious. They're high calorie, high fat, and to replenish your body. I'd lost a bunch of weight prior to surgery. Then you have surgery. You're not consuming food for a while. I lost more weight. And, you know, so recovering from surgery, just getting food down, just convincing myself, oh, I need to take in nutrition. That's a bit of a battle. Mm -hmm. And then I started chemotherapy weeks later, and then I really didn't want to eat. The thought of eating was like, like I always describe it as, it would be the same thing as pounding a nail into my head. Like, why on earth would I do that? It just makes no sense, which was crazy. So I often advise people, just go for something that you can just get down, right? right. Whatever might be appealing in any way. I remember eating single McDonald's cheeseburgers because mm -hmm. they're Small. Six, seven, eight hundred calories. Yeah. They're small. They're salty. They're delicious. And that was it. Like that would be all I would eat for the day. But it was something to get in, and milkshakes. Yeah, it's kind and, of. And funny. so not super healthy. <laughs> and that's not what they tell you to do. But a lot of people just you have no appetite, yeah. and eating becomes kind of a chore. And it was such a blessing when I finished chemo and that finally left. And then I said, okay. Every meal I'm ever going to have for the rest of my life is going to be delicious. It's going to be <laughs> worthwhile. It's going to be something fantastic, right? And I still try to do this to this day. I don't, it's not just like eating. It's like, oh, I want to enjoy this and I want to have something tasty. So I don't always eat what I should. Right. And I find that certain foods are going to affect me differently. So high fiber foods are often problematic because you're not digesting food properly to start with. Then you throw all that fiber in that often causes problems, heavily processed foods. So like I don't eat hot dogs. Well, occasionally, but <laughs> I just, I don't eat hot dogs like I used to right. and certain things like that. I tracked my food for a long time because I had very difficult GI issues for, like I said, about a year and a half. I tracked my food during that and after it, and I could not find any rhyme or reason. What made a particularly bad day or what made me, you know, spend the morning in the bathroom for hours on certain days, I could never figure it out. I just gave up on it. Yeah. And now I just accept that I'm going to have mm, one bad, one marginal day a week and every month, to two months, I'm going to have a bad day. I'm going to be really uncomfortable. I'm going to have abdominal pain. I don't know what it is. I just accept it. And I know it's going to go away. So if I'm going to have a bad day on Monday, I know I'll wake up Tuesday morning and almost certainly everything will be fine. Is that the pain you refer to as the little man with the machete running around? No, that's a different one. That's, okay. <laughs> that's the Whipple attack, which comes and goes out of nowhere. I'm just talking about like, I guess the best way to describe it's just abdominal pain extraordinarily not painful extraordinarily uncomfortable bloating I, I don't really know what to describe it but it's like you know it's there and sometimes i even i'll stay home from work i'll be so uncomfortable i'll stay home from work and just lie down and try to get some rest try to get some sleep and just let it pass I, I, yeah because i can't i i don't know what caused it i don't know how long it's going to last but almost certainly it's going to be gone tomorrow no matter how bad it is. Yeah, I have a survivor who she eats dessert first. 
for that very reason because it's something she wants to enjoy. Absolutely, hundred percent. Yeah. Did you have a question? Tom? One more question, and then as we wrap this up, first of all, thank you for being this honest and blunt and open about what people go through because everybody hears you have no option but the Whipple, and some people immediately must run and say, "Great, like you did. Let's just schedule it and get it going." Without a great deal of understanding what they're going to go through during, after, and for maybe forever because of the surgery. My question is, some surgeries, I think heart surgeries are kind of like this, they have to go in a couple times. You know, they sort of think they got it and then it doesn't work and they got to go try it again and you go through a couple. Has it ever happened? Is it common at all where they do the Whipple twice or they didn't get the plumbing right and they got to go and repair something or fix it? Or is it mostly one and done? Mostly one and done is the long and the short of it. And that is... As I understand the basic theory of doing the Whipple is your your pancreas is down there in your abdomen and it's surrounded by all this other tissue. They take out all this other tissue because of the risk of those cells migrating from your pancreas into your stomach or your pancreas into your the upper part of your intestine. It's all jammed up in there. So everything gets taken out to prevent to make sure that that cancer doesn't spread. And so there's two main plumbing things that they need to deal with. One is your intestine to your stomach. The other one is your pancreatic duct and your bile duct, which then meet just outside of your intestine and go in. Those are the two main plumbing issues. So if they can get clean margins on the cancer and they're generally pretty confident when they go in, they can do it, which is why they don't do it when it's metastasized out. Even when it's spread in a stage three scenario outside of the pancreas, they're not going to do the surgery because these cells have a tendency to float around. So the only thing that I've heard of that might fall into this is somebody will go in, they'll open them up, and they'll see that the tumor is much bigger than they thought. It didn't show up on the scan. And they'll say, oh, you have this tissue is involved, and they'll just close them up and not do the Whipple. And then perhaps afterwards, after chemo can reduce it or for whatever reason, they'll go in and actually do a Whipple. I'll say one other thing that I think is important is I know people in their 80s who had the Whipple Mm -hmm. and did just fine. Now, these people were in pretty good shape, but they're in their 80s, right? (laughs) These are not young people and they did just fine with it. So yes, it's a huge deal and there are going to be reminders of what you've been through after the fact but most people can do it most people can get through it and you know hopefully you don't have side effects and you know things like infections or there are various other issues that can come up but it's like you say it's better than the alternative right at least uh... i mean unfortunately in in the situation we have right now i mean it it is a life-saving procedure and for most people, again, you're a very special anomaly here, is if you don't have it, it is going to spread and it will take your life eventually if you don't go through this. Now, there are exceptions. There are people that could have, you know, take fulfirinox for six months and knock it down and get rid of it. You know, eventually we'll have personalized medicines and all these other things that will be able to target it. Maybe we'll be able to cure it without the surgery. But right now, this is our best chance of beating this disease. Right. And thank you for that and sharing. Like I said, it's very, I would just want people to hear the whole thing and know what they have to deal with. And last time you left us with a little quote, and I love this, you're a patient and the reality of it is 
be patient while you go through this process. I think that's the best advice you can give anybody. And I know you wanted to do a dedication as well. So, so I've been talking to a new friend and his wife, Tom and Debbie Gregory. Tom had a Whipple in January. He's been having a tough time. He's had some infections and some other issues. So I want to dedicate the show to Tom Gregory. Thank you for that. And Tom, we're behind you. And if you need anything, you've got a whole group of, of family that wants to help you. So thank you, Tom, for being here and uh, the dedication. Greatly appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks for having me back. It's a great pleasure. Yeah, we'll have to do it again. Okay, good. <laughs> Well, there you have it. One more reason to tune in to hear the real deal, the real stories of what people are really going through and how they survive and thrive, even with pancreatic cancer. If you know somebody who is going through it, needs some help, needs some support, lots of places we keep sending you to, the Hirschberg Foundation, others. Let's give you one, again, that we always stress here in Southern California and Orange County, and that is patient services at PANCAN, 877-2-PANCAN for the Pancreatic Cancer Action Network. For the OC Talk Radio Network, I'm Paul Roberts. Thanking you again for joining us, hoping you'll share this information with somebody who needs to hear it, and hoping you'll keep coming back as we continue to explore this journey we call Living Hope, right here on Orange County's only community radio station. OC Talk Radio, streaming live from our studios here at the University of California, Irvine's Beale Applied Innovation Center.